Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. That's page 1174 in the Church Bibles. So, page 1174, Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Paul the preacher to the Gentiles. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, and, uh, heavenly realms according to his, to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Someone that I uh, trained with at Theological College now leads a newly planted church in Swindon, which includes a bright orange slide in the middle of the church building as a prophetic reminder that God 
is a god of joy. Now, before you start requesting uh, uh, slides in the building project, I should tell you that this is a rather unconventional church building. I wonder if each of us were to have a sheet of paper and to draw our ideal church, what would we each draw? I am fairly confident that no two drawings would be the same. My uh, friend was giving me a picture yesterday of her ideal church. Uh, She would like welcoming people, sermons that are a mix of challenging and practical whilst being well informed, space for socialising, a place to gain family, good biscuits, which in her opinion is fig roll, and strong tea, and she, she laboured the point that there must not be weak tea. Uh, comfy chairs that move themselves, and it would be the perfect temperature all the time. Now that's great, but having shared a house with this particular friend, I can tell you that we have different ideas of the perfect temperature. We can't even take a car journey together because I want the blower on and she wants the window open. We have different ideas of good biscuits. I'm also a fan of strong tea, but what about all those brothers and sisters in Christ who are not? And having spent hours uh, in Ikea together, I can tell you that we wouldn't even be able to agree on a comfy chair. That's before we even get to the content of sermons. How can we be a church that does life together when we're all so different? In Ephesians 3, which is where we are this morning, uh, page 1174, if you're uh, in the paper Bibles, uh, in Ephesians 3, Paul reframes this question for us. Rather than asking, how do we as Christians follow Jesus together as the church, which I think is the question that we often ask, how do we as Christians follow Jesus together as the church, Paul instead invites us to consider what's so amazing about the church and how we, as Christians, are a part of that. One of the things that uh, always makes me smile when I read this passage in Ephesians 3 is the way in which Paul starts his prayer. He starts his prayer in verse 1. I don't know if you noticed this. And then he has an extended semi-autobiographical digression in verses 2 through to 13, and then he comes back to his prayer uh, in verse 14. So if you're anything like me and start a thought, add in an extra thought, and then come back to your first thought, uh, you're in company with the Apostle Paul. So as we look at Ephesians 3 this morning, we're going to take it in two parts. We're going to take 2 to 13, uh, and then 14 to 21, and both parts are introduced uh, by verse 1. And what we're going to think about uh, in verses 2 to 13 is how amazing the church is and how this informs our ministry as Christians. We're then going to pause in the middle to acknowledge the fact that this might sound great in theory, but that the church doesn't always feel amazing. Uh, Paul's vision of the church may feel far from the reality. And then we're going to think about how our amazing God, how with our amazing God, what feels impossible can be made possible. So that's where we're going this morning. So you don't need to get frustrated in the first part thinking, well, this is all very idealistic. We will come to the part when we recognise that actually uh, it doesn't always um, work as uh, in the way that Paul sets out. So the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's probably actually writing uh, with a wide audience beyond Ephesus in mind too. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul has explained how Christ, how in Christ, because of Jesus' death 
on the cross, the Gentiles and the Jews are reconciled to one another as equal members of the body of Christ. Previously, the Gentiles were separated from God and from Israel. They were separated in these two ways. Now there are no divisions at all, just one multicultural family of God. The message of the gospel is the foundation of the church. Christ's death is the beginning of a radical new community in which people who were previously divided are brought together by a shared new identity in Jesus. And it's for this reason we're at the start of our passage today, chapter 3. And it's for this reason that Paul describes himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, verse 1. Paul is a Roman prisoner. He's a prisoner of Emperor Nero. But for Paul, this is inconsequential. What really matters to Paul is God's plan for this new community, the church, where there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Paul's primary concern is his mission proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Because this is what's so amazing about the church. The fact that Jews and Gentiles together, united in Jesus, where every person is equal free from barriers and divisions. That's why Paul considers himself uh, to be in prison. Uh, It doesn't matter that he's in prison uh, uh, in Rome by Emperor Nero. Uh, The reason he sees himself in prison is because he's been a servant of God's mission. So before Paul continues with his prayer, he stops to uh, explain how he sees himself as part of God's mission. And the word mystery appears three times in verses 2 to 7. It comes up later on as well. And its meaning in Greek was a little different from, I think, how we'd probably understand it now. Now we'd probably think of mystery as something that's hidden, something that's mysterious. In Greek, the sense is much more of an open secret, something that was always there but's now kind of fully revealed. God's grace that was given to me for you, verse 2, was God's plan for the Gentiles that has now been fully revealed to Paul. Many of us will be familiar with Paul's transformation when God appeared to him on the road to Damascus. God's grace revealed to Paul how the Old Testament had been fulfilled by Christ. The Old Testament speaks of all the families of earth being blessed and of Israel being a light to the Gentiles. And in the New Testament, Jesus commissioned the disciples to make disciples of the Gentiles. But the radical new revelation, this is is the mystery that's been made known to Paul, was that the Gentiles and Jews would together be members of a new community, members of the church, heirs together, members together, sharers together. That's in uh, all three of those expressions in verse 6. And it's kind of like, Someone down the street receiving a family inheritance and then being told it's for you too. It's big news and it's good news. Paul has received this revelation, this mystery, and the only appropriate response for Paul is commission, ministry. So we've had revelation, mystery, we've now got commission, ministry. If you've discovered an inheritance that's open to everyone, that's bigger than you ever realised then you need to tell people about it. Otherwise, it's just not going to be possible to be heirs together, members together, or sharers together. Together doesn't work unless other people know. Paul considers it a privilege that he, 
The least of the Lord's people, verse 7, has by God's grace received this revelation. And the only appropriate response is to preach in Greek uh, evangelize to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, verse 8, and to make it plain to everyone, verse 9, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Sometimes we talk about the gospel apart from the church. And yet the church is where God is making his eternal purposes known. I don't know if you've ever thought about church like that. The church is where God is making his eternal purposes known. The church points to God's ultimate plan for the world. The gospel is seen as the church, by God's grace, is built. The beautiful diversity of one people, one family, united in Christ. Not just as individuals, but the church itself is called to be a witness to the world. Church is not just where we come to be resourced. It is in our, just in our being together a powerful witness. When old and young, black and white, rich and poor, gather together as equal members of the body of Christ, as people who together share in the riches that come through Christ, freedom, belonging, peace, hope, forgiveness, reconciliation, God is made known to the world. I've listened to various podcasts recently uh, that have been reflecting on how we assume equality to be a universal value that is common to humankind and has been from the beginning of time. And yet when we look at history, we see that the equality of every human being is an inherently Christian value. And this means that we've really got to repent of the times when we as a church, global, national, local, and as individual Christians have not behaved in ways that have reflected this. But it also means that we need to be reminded of just how radically good and unifying the good news of Jesus Christ is. Some of these values that our society is built on, actually, they're, they're, they're the foundations of the church because they're the gospel. The 18 to uh, 30s were chatting on Thursday evening about how mobile phone upgrades have become less dramatic. 15 years ago, a new phone meant an amazing new feature, a colour screen, a camera, the internet. And now the upgrades feel less significant, unless maybe you're uh, using your phone to make videos for TikTok, in which case every little improvement to the camera probably does matter, I don't know. Um, the upgrades feel less significant. The church is amazing. It's changed and continues to change the world. But because, and I can say this with confidence, none of us here existed before the church, it can be easy to miss just what big news, what good news, the church by its very existence is. When we're present together, loving one another across differences, each of us plays a significant part in revealing God's big picture to the world. I think we forget how... Um, we take for granted that these values are around in society. Actually, they're inherently Christian. This is what the church is built on. Christian community, uh, the church, is unlike any other institution in its diversity. And it can't exist apart from an amazing God. 
So here's the moment where we uh, stop and we name that often the church at a global level, at a national level, at a local level, doesn't feel like this harmonious, happy family, where Paul's vision doesn't feel like it reflects our reality. Often church can be really difficult. Around, I can't really remember when it was, I think about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, when I was uh, an ordinant, my bishop, the Bishop of St Albans, I was in the Diocese of St Albans at the time, uh, gathered all the ordinance together and read us a passage from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together, in which Dietrich Bonhoeffer reflects on how easy it is to be disillusioned with Christian community when it doesn't live up to our expectations. And it was humbling and it was challenging, but I think the words that were read to me then have been some of the wisest words I've ever heard. Dietrich Bonhoeffer names how easy it is to idealise Christian community and for creating our vision of Christian community to become more important than Christian community itself. He talks about uh, the dream of Christian community becoming more important than the reality, God's divine reality in Christian community itself. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I recognise that instinct in myself. So back to the question of how do we do life together without becoming disillusioned when being in the church feels just impossible at a national level, at a local level. Sometimes it just feels impossible. When God's reality for the church and the outworking of that in the life of the local church seem to be worlds apart. The first thing to say is that this has been a struggle for God's people since the creation of the church. Which is why the Apostle Paul goes on to pray for the Ephesians. We often will, if I asked you about chapter 3, I suspect most people would say they're more familiar with verses 14 to 21 than the first 13 verses. And yet this prayer at the end of uh, Ephesians chapter 3 very much comes in the context of what's gone before. Paul is not just telling the Ephesians theology, he's praying for them for what they need to live it out. And so that's a good place for us to start when we're thinking about what we need to live it out. So what does Paul pray? Paul begins by reminding the readers of the letter that every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from God. God is Lord of all creation, the maker and redeemer of every single one of us. All of us are equally under God's authority. Paul then prays for strength in their inner being. And this uh, inner being phrase is, uh, Paul uses it to kind of describe the, the centre of who we are. That's, that's what Paul means when he uses this phrase. So Paul prays that they will be strengthened in the centre of who you are. And this is a prayer by the power of the Spirit, not by their own power or ability. And I think that's something we really need to notice. How often do we try to make things work by just trying a bit harder from within our own strength? Actually, this is a prayer that by the power of the Spirit, not by their own power or ability, but by God's Spirit at work in them, and it's only ever going to be possible by God's Spirit at work in them, they would be enabled to live this new life that they're called to as the church. And notice that the heart transformation Paul prays for comes from the glorious riches of Christ. It's not the language of painful refining. It's the language of growing in knowledge of the blessings that come from Christ and living more fully out of these. 
So that's the first prayer point, strengthened in their inner being by the power of the Spirit. The second thing Paul prays for is a deeper understanding of the love of Christ, not just in the lives of individual believers, but in the life of the church. I think sometimes, particularly I would say in in evangelical Christianity, a lot of emphasis can be put on the relationship of the individual, and we forget sometimes about the importance of the church. Individual believers may be rooted and established in love, but here the prayer is for all the Lord's holy people together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Verse 18. The love that Paul prays for is a love that surpasses knowledge, a love that we can never fully understand or know, but, and this is the crucial bit, a love that as we live as the church, with all that that means, we will begin to understand. Christian community, the whole people of God, are needed to begin to understand the fullness of God's love, the whole love of God. The whole people of God are needed to begin to understand the whole love of God. And then finally, uh, when the Ephesians were perhaps thinking whether praying for strength and a deeper understanding of love can really overcome all the messiness and struggles of being Christian community, and I can point you in the direction of other letters in the New Testament uh, which explain to you just how messy uh, Christian community was at the beginning of the church. It was messy. Paul reminds them that God has already done remarkable things. The death of sin has been defeated. They've been reconciled to God. The church has been created, bringing together Jews and Gentiles. The existence of the church is remarkable. We don't really get that, I don't think. The the very existence of the church, of Jews and Gentiles together as equal members of the one body of Christ, is remarkable. God's already done the impossible. When they remember what God has already done and what they already have, living God's reality for the church becomes much more possible. When we remember what God has already done and what we already have, living God's reality for the church becomes much more possible. The same is true for us. When we do life together with our amazing God, uh, that's uh, at the heart of our, our values as a church. When we do life together as our amazing God, uh, with our amazing God, what feels impossible can be made possible. And if you're there thinking, I just, how on earth? That's because with God, the impossible is made possible. So let's pray now and be reminded that we are all children of the same Heavenly Father as we seek to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit and together grow in understanding of the fullness of God's love in Christ. We're just going to pause for a moment and then we'll make those words from the second part of chapter 3, our prayer.
And so as we continue to reflect on how the message of the gospel is the foundation of the church, how the church is where God is making his eternal purposes known, how the gospel is seen as the church by God's grace is built. We make uh, the prayer from Ephesians our own. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.